You know, it's the dog days of summer out there, and records are being broken for temperatures across the country. But over at ACEC, our eyes are fixed on October, because that's when we're going to be holding our 2023 Fall Conference. That's right, and registration is open now for the event taking place from October 15th through the 18th in beautiful Austin, Texas. Now go over to our website, www.ecec.org FC to get all the information you need to register for this event. Now seize your opportunity to be part of the largest event in the engineering design service industry focused on the business of engineering, where professionals attend educational sessions, major networking events, forums, roundtables, and more. Early Bird, again, ends on September 14th. Make sure you lock in the best rate possible. Go to www.acec.org fc for all the information you need. Again, the 2023 ACEC Fall Conference, Austin, Texas, October 15th through 18th. We'll see you there. The AEC industry is rapidly changing, but your team doesn't have time to reinvent workflows for every new technology or client demand. ProjectWise, powered by iTwin, puts you in control and positions your firm for non-disruptive change. Whether you need to improve design quality, optimize existing processes, or even get started with digital delivery and digital twins, ProjectWise enables you to make the most of what you already have without starting over. Visit go.bentley.com forward slash podcast to see how ProjectWise is empowering AEC firms to do more with less. Once again, that's go.bentley.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome to the Engineering Influence Podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. My name is Diana Alexander, and I'm the Director of Private Market Resources with ACEC here in Washington, D.C. Today, we have a special guest. We are featuring Dr. Anibam Basu, Chairman and CEO of Sage Policy Group, Inc., an economic and policy consulting firm headquartered in Baltimore, Maryland, with an office in Orlando, Florida as well. The firm provides strategic analytical services to energy suppliers, law firms, medical systems, government agencies, and real estate developers, among others. And just a, a little bit about Dr. Basu. He was appointed as chair of the Maryland Economic Development Commission from 2014 to 2021 by Larry Hogan. He serves as chairman of the Baltimore County Economic Advisory Committee. He also serves as chief economist uh, function for Associated Builders and Contractors, the Construction Financial Management Association, the Modular Building Institute, the Maryland Bankers Association, and several others. Very impressive. In 2007, 16, and 22, the Daily Record newspaper selected Dr. Basu as one of Maryland's 50 most influential people, and the Baltimore Business Journal named him one of the region's top 20 most powerful business leaders in 2010. Dr. Basu earned his 
BS in Foreign Service at Georgetown University and his master's in public policy from Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government and his master's in economics from the University of Maryland College Park. He acquired his Juris Doctor at the University of Maryland School of Law and completed his doctoral work at UMBC with a concentration in health economics. Dr. Basu, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Righto, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I know you to not just be any economist, but a very highly sought after speaker, uh, not only because your intellect and pulse on our industry, uh, but because of your personality and sense of humor. So I'm very excited to interview today and ask a few questions about our industry and get your sought after intelligence. So um, first question I wanted to ask was, do you think we are currently in a recession or heading into one for H2 2023? Can you, you know, it's it's on top of our mind for all of our members. You talk to every economist, they have a different answer, but I, I really honestly want to know your take. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're not in recession now, but then the question becomes, is one coming? I've been saying since very early 2022 that recession would begin at some point in 2023. So 2022 was set up to be a growth year for the U.S. economy coming out of the pandemic. Lots of unmet demand out there, supply chains coming back to life. But we also knew that the Federal Reserve would start raising interest rates that year. They did. It began on March 16th of 2022. Uh, since that date, they've raised rates another 10 times. The upper limit on the Fed funds rate has gone from 0.25% to 5.5% during that period. Uh, I am a monetarist. Uh, that's how I classify myself as an economist. I believe that monetary policy and money supply, those kinds of issues, really ultimately shape economic performance. Of course, in graduate school, I refer to myself as a neo-Keynesian because I want to be attractive to women. But I am a monetarist, as it turns out. The great uh, Milton Friedman, uh, the godfather of monetary economics, uh, has said that... Uh, that, that interest rate uh, or monetary policy operates with long and variable lags. So I still think that there's a chance that this monetary policy catches up to us, higher cost of capital, lots of uh, fears of recession, as it turns out, in corporate America. Uh, a lot of economists have said recession is not coming. Uh, just in the last few days, economists at Bank of America and JP Morgan have said recession is not occurring. I still believe it could begin, if not later this year, than early in 2024. There are a lot of uh, headwinds with respect to the U.S. economy. You know, credit is tightening up, for instance, which is bad for project financing, which all things being equal is bad for engineers, as it turns out, at least those related to segments like construction, for instance. So in any case, I think recession is coming. We, we can talk more about that. So what would you say is your key indicator? Because I hear all these economists look at all these different things. And I mentioned to you before, one of the like last stops is this inverted yield curve. So are we in fact inverted? And do you believe that that is indicative of a recession coming? Well, we're massively inverted across the yield curve. And so, for instance, the interest rate on a one-year treasury has been neatly above 5% recently. The Yield on the 10-year Treasury recently has been around 4%. So massive inversion. And it has been a pretty reliable predictor of recessions for decades. So for instance, we saw an inverted yield curve just before the 1970 recession, before 73, 74, 75, before the 1980 episode, before 81, 82, before 1990, 1991, before 2001, before 07, 08, 09, not so much before 2020. That was caused something else, but now we have this massive inversion. And so it's one of the indicators I look at to determine whether or not recession is coming. And the bond market is clearly saying that recession is coming. 
Now, we've been waiting for it for a few months. That's true, but it doesn't mean it's not going to occur. Right. So when we had our last spring annual convention in D.C., we posed a member to a question to our uh, audience members saying, do you think a recession is coming? How is your business doing? And everyone or the mass majority said business is booming, strong AE revenues, strong backlog. Uh, normally, our industry lags around 12 to 16 months after a recession. Do you think that will ring true in this particular recession or should our industry be a little worried sooner? I think the industry should be worried a little sooner because this time is a bit different. So what we see around the country is credit conditions are tightening. Just in the last few days, Moody's downgraded the ratings of 10 major banks, including banks like M&T Bank. Uh, they're looking at banks like Truist, as it turns out. Truist is created by the merger of uh, BB&T and SunTrust, for instance, Amarillo, National Bank, so on and so forth, so it's around the country. Uh, and so uh, Amarillo National Bank was downgraded, for instance. So we had the failures of Silicon Valley Bank on March 10th, Signature Bank on March 12th, and the issues at First Republic, PacWest, Western Alliance, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse. So credit conditions are tightening up. Uh, regulators are becoming uh, more aggressive in scrutinizing bank finances. And so project financing is becoming more difficult. And if project financing is becoming more difficult, that would tend to impact engineers because the project doesn't get started in the first place. You can't plan for the project. Permits are not pulled. And actually, that's what we see in terms of multifamily housing and some other segments of the economy. Building permits are down. Uh, and why are building permits down? It's not because there's not demand for apartments or other forms of space, though we can talk about the office market separately. But it's, it's because developers are having a difficult time lining up financing, and so projects are not moving forward. That makes total sense. So looking at monetary policy and the tightening on the financial institutions, you kind of led into this question, are the bank runs and failures just the beginning, or could we have another full-scale financial crisis on our hands like 2007 and 2009? Well, I am skeptical that we'll have that kind of financial crisis, because back then you might remember we're talking about the subprime mortgage segments. The housing market had been clearly overbuilt. Uh, there had been some very flawed lending during that period, no document loans, that kind of thing. Lots of people took on interest-only loans um, with no real deposit as they were purchasing a home. And so as home values fell, they were underwater, and this uh, overwhelmed the entire U.S. banking system, in fact, the global banking system. I don't see that kind of imbalance right now. I mean, we can make, you know, we can argue that the stock market looks too pricey and that kind of thing, but um, I don't see any kind of structural uh, issues in the U.S. economy that would lead us to an 07, 08, 09 type episode. But there is one segment that stands to really, really hurt, and that's at least certain segments of commercial real estate, office market, shopping centers, that kind of thing. We're seeing a lot of loss of value in those kinds of properties for various reasons. And that means that banks, certain banks at least are exposed to those losses in the value of collateral, for instance. Uh, and, but I don't think that that segment is large enough to tilt the economy into a deep recession. It's just one of the reasons that we're probably going to enter a recession. So you've mentioned office twice now, so I'm interested. I've been hearing a lot about office conversion solving the supply problem in housing and the conversion or the adaptive reuse of office into residential multifamily space. Are you seeing that? Is that a trend? What are your thoughts? Well, yes, of course. And we've seen this during previous cycles. Uh, if you've got too much office space and not enough housing, it makes sense to convert office space into housing. The problem is, and again, here's where engineers are really very important. They're important in many different ways, but here's one of those instances. Um, not every office building can be converted into a residential structure. 
There are issues of parking and ceiling heights and so on and so forth and making sure that every apartment would have windows. Because if you think about office buildings, a lot of people sit in the middle of the building in cubicles. Well, I mean, what do you do with that space? How do you reconfigure that so that it can become an apartment with windows? It's not that easy. And so um, uh, a lot of office space is going to stay office space. And we have too much of it. Last year, despite the fact that the U.S. economy grew 2.1% and we added millions of jobs, um, and actually hundreds of thousands of jobs in office space using segments or traditionally office space using segments, the office vacancy rate rose in this country. And it would be even higher in terms of the measurement, except that office space is not deemed to be vacant unless it's uh, unleased. As long as it's leased, it's deemed to be occupied. But a lot of office space is vacant in this country. And as these lease renewals come up, you'll see that office vacancy rate tilt higher, market by market by market. And so that's one of the segments that really stands to be very weak going forward from a construction perspective, of course, but also from the perspective of holding valuations. And that means that somebody's going to take a loss on some of these buildings out there, including in some instances, banks. So this is one of the reasons that credit conditions are worsening in America. And so here we are in the situation where a lot of economists are saying, hey, soft landing, the Federal Reserve has done it. We're not headed for recession. Don't worry about it. The economists were wrong. We were wrong. I think it's too early in the ballgame to conclude that. Maybe in the sixth or seventh inning right now, many comments are acting as if the ninth inning is over. It's not. Okay. I want to pivot to look a little bit bigger picture on the global view of the economy. Um, how is the market in China doing? I ask because we're inflation and now they're in fears of deflation. What does that look like and how can that impact us? Well, it impacts us in many ways. So, you know, the Chinese economy was supposed to boom this year, really blossom. Why? Because reopening from pandemic lockdowns in 2022, and instead what is happening is the Chinese economy is sputtering. It'll grow this year, but not nearly at the pace expected. And so how does this affect uh, American engineers, and construction firms, et cetera? Well, the Chinese are massive users, for instance, uh, of construction materials, whether it's steel or other materials. Notice that steel prices are down this year. Notice that energy prices in many cases are down this year. For instance, natural gas prices, oil prices have been floating lower and higher, but they're certainly much lower than they were for much of 2022. Uh, and so if you look at overall construction materials prices, they're down 4.9% over the past 12 months. So we've gone from a period of 20 to 25% inflation in materials prices to deflation. And a lot of that has to do, not all of it, with Chinese economic weakness. Because again, the Chinese economy is not just weak, but they have a real estate crisis. You know, they have a local government debt crisis. So obviously that frustrates construction. That also reduces the demand for certain key materials that enter construction. And so at the end of the day, we see some deflation in those categories. That's good news, as it turns out, as we try to rebuild our nation's infrastructure, as we uh, try to, uh, to have more supply chain in America. We have to build all these plants, semiconductor plants, battery manufacturing plants, inputs alternative energy, electric vehicles. Uh, it's expensive, of course, to build those factories. So if we get a little bit of relief on those materials prices, that's very helpful. What about the Russian-Ukraine war? How is that tension affecting us? Is it still prevalent or is it kind of slowing down? You know, when the Russians invaded the Ukrainians on February 24th of 2022, oil prices skyrocketed. You might remember they went above $120 a barrel. Uh, natural gas prices rose globally, wheat prices rose, fertilizer prices, cooking oil, so on and so forth. A real strain on the global economy. Some of that inflation remains in place. Obviously, we've got this issue with wheat not being exported uh, in large amounts from Ukraine. That's you know, their real breadbasket, as it turns out. Um, 
the war rages on. But oil, as I'm speaking to, is in the low 80s in North America. Natural gas is still below $3 a million BTU. It reminds us of the resiliency of free markets, uh, that when uh, businesses are allowed to operate re- with reasonable freedom, they uh, are able to supply goods and services fairly efficiently, even when there are inefficiencies around the world. Uh, and so, uh, I, I, you know, from an economic perspective, I don't think what's happening in Ukraine is really shaping to a large degree what's happening in America. It's a horrible uh, event. It's unimaginable that this is happening. The cruelty, the um, the insanity of it, of course. But this economy continues to expand. We see low unemployment, lots of job growth, despite what's happening in Eastern Europe. Got it. Thank you for that take. I, uh, I have about one more question. Um, I wanted to ask, what markets do you see being the shining beacon for the next five years? You know, we're talking about impending recession, um, but manufacturing has grown by over 100 percent and transportation and public uh, projects are seeing success from federal funding in the BIL. So, you know, we know what markets are going to do so well. You mentioned commercial and office not doing so well, but, but what's going to what's going to kind of come out that maybe our engineers could look to for work while others take Oh, there are a number of segments. So, you know, any economic weakness I speak to does not relate to public construction. So obviously on November 15th of 2021, President Biden signed the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, a $1.2 trillion package, $550 billion in new money. Before that, he signed on March 11th of 2021, the American Rescue Plan Act, uh, which among other things gifted uh, state and local governments $250 billion dollars. Uh, some of that money will be spent on infrastructure, whether it's school construction or road building, so on and so forth. So you've got a lot of money primed to be spent on infrastructure, public works. So anytime I speak to a contractor that specializes in public works, they tell me, Anibond, we're going to be busy for the next six to eight years. We don't know beyond that because the, the, the Congress did not find a permanent funding solution for infrastructure. But we know that whether it's six or eight years or five or seven years, we're going to be busy for a number of years. Uh, and then there are certain privately financed segments that stand to be red hot as well. The, at the top of the list, I would say, is data center construction, um, or maybe it's second on the list. Uh, but obviously, with artificial intelligence being the so the wave of the current uh, current period, uh, lots of demand for data processing ability, data storage, so on and so forth. You mentioned manufacturing. You know, as I say, industrial policy has returned to America. So you know, with the Chips and Science Act, which was signed by President Biden in August of 2022. The Inflation Reduction Act was also signed by him that month. All of a sudden, we have these very generous tax credits offered to often very large manufacturers like Intel and Texas Instruments and Global Wafer and so on and so forth. And they're constructing massive plants around this country, New York State, Ohio, Arizona, Texas, battery manufacturing plants in Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Michigan, so on and so forth. So you know, this is the era of the mega project. So if you have an engineering firm that's associated with one of these mega projects, you're going to be busy, I would think. Uh, but there are some segments that stand to be weak. We've talked about them, shopping malls, uh, office space for obvious reasons. But uh, final uh, point on this, healthcare. Uh, you know, the pandemic laid bare the fact that we've underinvested in particular in our in- inpatient capacity, not enough room for uh, intensive care unit beds, not enough room for ventilators. Uh, and so we're seeing some major hospital expansions out there and society's aging. 
uh, utilization is going up in this country. And so we need more space, whether it's medical offices or inpatient medical centers or outpatient clinics or outpatient surgical centers. So healthcare stands to be another place that will generate a fair amount of work for architects and engineers. I agree. We hear a lot from our you know, member firms that say those two categories, healthcare life sciences, are essentially essentially recession-proof for them. Uh, it's kind of the steady eddy in where they stay. They did see some investments recently drop just because I think investors are nervous right now, but it does tend to be in a market that remains stable for all of our member firms. Um, so, you know, this is about all the time we have for today, but before we sign off, I did want to mention for our listeners that we are releasing our latest industry brief focused on the education market this month and we'll provide a link to the brief in our show notes and you can also subscribe to receive all briefs uh, directly to your inbox and on a similar note uh, Dr. Ani Bambasu mentioned AI we do have an AI and AEC four-part webinar series uh, which is continuing to break records for ACEC please sign up online prior to September 14th to catch the next live session and we'll also provide information for that below Uh, thank you Dr. Basu for providing your market insight today Thank you for having me. Good luck to all. Thank you. And thank you listeners for joining us on another Engineering Influence podcast from ACEC. See you soon.